It's Friday of the fourth week of Lent. Welcome to today's Lentcast. This is Father John Zulsdorf. Today's Roman station is St. Eusebio. St. Eusebius was a Roman priest who lived in the 4th century. In 357, he defended St. Athanasius and the doctrine of the Council of Nicaea against the Emperor Constans, who was an Arian. Constans had him starved to death. It is thought that he died in this place, which was his house, and indeed, beneath St. Eusebio, there are 2nd century houses. In this area, there was a necropolis and mass graves, some of which trace back to many centuries before Christ's birth. Excavations here have uncovered a house which was eventually overwhelmed by the construction of the basilica in the early 4th century. The church is first mentioned in written works in 474. After various renovations, it was redecorated in the late 18th century, which is how you see it now, though the bell tower dates to the 13th century and the time of Pope Gregory XI. Inside, there is a fresco in the vaulting by Anton Mengs, Eusebius in glory, in which the saint points to a tablet with the Greek words consubstantial with the Father. There is also a little chapel here dedicated to St. Celestine V, the Pope who abdicated in 1296 and who is considered a saint in the Roman calendar. Once upon a time, the church had been in the care of the Celestine monks, a Benedictine offshoot founded by the same Celestine V, though the order has died out, suppressed by the Napoleonic government in 1810. Yesterday, in the extraordinary form of the Roman Rite, we had two readings about miraculous resurrections, one of a widow's son by the prophet and another of a widow's son by the Lord. Today we hear the gospel of the Lord raising Lazarus at Bethany. Joseph Ratzinger's 2005 Meditation on the Third Station of the Cross Jesus Falls for the First Time From the book of the prophet Isaiah Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions, he was buried for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that made us whole, and with his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray, we have turned every one to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of all. Man has fallen, and he continues to fall. Often he becomes a caricature of himself, no longer the image of God, but a mockery of the Creator. Is not the man who, on the way from Jerusalem to Jericho, fell among robbers who stripped him and left him half dead and bleeding beside the road, the image of humanity par excellence? Jesus' fall beneath the cross is not just the fall of the man, Jesus, exhausted from his scourging. There is a more profound meaning in his fall, as Paul tells us in the letter to the Philippians. Though he was in the form of God, he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. He humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even death on a cross. In Jesus' fall beneath the weight of the cross, the meaning of his whole life is seen, his voluntary abasement, which lifts us up from the depths of our pride. 
The nature of our pride is also revealed. It is that arrogance which makes us want to be liberated from God and left alone to ourselves. The arrogance which makes us think that we do not need His eternal love, but we can be the masters of our own lives. In this rebellion against truth, in this attempt to be our own God, creator and judge, we fall headlong and plunge into self-destruction. The humility of Jesus is the surmounting of our pride. By his abasement he lifts us up. Let us allow him to lift us up. Let us strip away our sense of self-sufficiency, our false illusions of independence, and learn from him, the one who humbled himself, to discover our true greatness by bending low before God and before our downtrodden brothers and sisters. <laughs>